The BSN Nuggets podcast, as always, is presented by InWeGo. What's InWeGo? Well, it's Denver's best subscription that allows you to go to as many events as you can in Denver, around Colorado. It's only $39 a month, too. No additional costs or fees either. Hundreds of events around Denver and Colorado for just $39 a month. I was just at the Buffs game in Boulder on Friday. Saw CU, courtesy of In We Go. You can go to DU hockey games. You can go to Nuggets games when they're in town. Beer festivals, beer tastings, tons of food events all around the city. Like I said, for just $39 a month. If it's going on in Denver, there's a good chance that In We Go can get you in. Here's where it really gets good, though. We've actually partnered with them to give BSN listeners a great deal. If you go to inwego.com backslash BSN, or if you download their app for free and use promo code BSN50 when you subscribe, you're actually going to get 50% off your first month. That's right. All those events in Denver for under 20 bucks during your first month. Try it, and you guys are going to fall in love with it. So again, go to inwego.com backslash BSN, or download the app for free. Use promo code BSN50. Welcome in to the BSN Nuggets podcast presented by In We Go. Joined by a special guest, Mason Plumwood. I thought he was going to knock that ref out in LA. <laughs> Coaches will get testy with officials, but to run out onto the court and yeah. cut him off, yeah. I've never seen that before. You should have taken a charge on him. That <laughs> A special guest, Darrell Arthur. When did you first realize Nicole Jokic was good? He was in Philadelphia for Jameer's kind of like team bonding thing, and I knew it right away that he was going to be good. He was making great passes and good reads and stuff like that, and I said, this kid's going to be good. He turns out to be a star. He has a great upside to him, and I know he'll be a Hall of Famer once he's done playing. And now, here's your hosts, Harrison Wind and Christian Clark. With that, welcome into a brand new edition of the BSN Nuggets podcast. This is our Monday show. Harrison Wind here across the table from me is Christian Clark. We got another game to talk about here on the show. The Nuggets fall in New Orleans. First leg of a three-game road trip, 125-115. Denver now 10-6 and on the year, 3-3 three and three on the road. Here's what's funny. I remember going back to, what was it, that Brooklyn game at home that Denver lost kind of to start this little slide here on that Karis LeVert game winner, the Nuggets had a chance to be the top seed, the top team in the Western Conference if they had won that game. They would have the same record as the Warriors by virtue of a little tiebreaker. They would have been technically the number one team in the Western Conference through, what, three weeks of play? Now, at 10-6, and six, still off to a good start, still off to a start that most people, maybe not most people, but a lot of people could have predicted them to get off to. They're now dropped out the sixth in the Western Conference. And sure enough, we're seeing it again this year. I know it's early, but I don't think this is a big surprise. Teams one through 10 right now are separated by two and a half games. Everybody's separated by pretty much three games, three and a half games in the West. This conference is tight. It's competitive. It's probably going to be that way all year. And it shows you how a little lull and a little stretch where you might go cold can really cost you in this Western Conference race. So I don't know. I thought that was interesting how we think back to a couple weeks ago and the Nuggets had a chance to be the top team in the Western Conference at a point in time. Now they're sixth. Nothing to really worry about, but it's pretty funny how a little cold streak can really change things. 
Yeah, I mean, that loss in Memphis where the Nuggets couldn't even score 90 points, all they had to do was hit the 90-point mark to win that game, couldn't get it done. The home loss to the Nets when they just didn't play any defense um, and it turned into a foul fest, those are losses that are really going to come back to haunt you maybe at the end of the season. It's even more of a cluster F than it was last year. I mean, there are 12 teams within four games of each other in the West. It's just ridiculous. I mean, right now, the Suns are the only team in the West that's an easy W. Well, that's what we were saying coming into the year, right? There's probably only going to be two really bad teams in the West. I felt like at least the Suns and the Kings, and now the Kings have become one of the brighter stories of the young season until a report from Yahoo comes out that they might fire Dave Yeager, which would be the most ultimate Kangs move of all time. Uh, But I came into the year thinking those are probably going to be the only two teams that you can just barely show up and probably get away with a win against. Uh, But the case hasn't been that way with Sacramento this year. I mean, the Kings are, I think the Nuggets fifth most impressive win so far this season, just looking at their 10 wins, they've been solid. So it's only Phoenix right now who looks like they've dropped off. Minnesota, with the Jimmy Butler trade, I could see them kind of hanging around uh, on the outside looking in, I'll say, the playoffs. The Mavericks are playing good ball right now, although I think they'll fade. A team like Memphis, though, this that's a team that I thought would hang in playoff contention for most of the season and then maybe drop off in the final month or so they're looking solid at 10 and five, the three spot in the West right now. I mean, if they stay healthy, they're probably going to be there throughout the whole season. So it's probably going to be that type of deal with them. Let's get into this game though. Uh, Like I said, the nuggets fall to the Pelicans, 125, 115, a close game throughout Pelicans kind of pulled away in the fourth quarter. I want to start in the first quarter. I want to start with Nikola Jokic because, man, was he cooking right out of the gate. He goes 7 of 8 from the field in the first quarter. 18 points. Him and Anthony Davis are going shot for shot, back and forth. That first quarter was like vintage Jokic, right? That's how he was against the Andre 8 and the Suns. That's how he's been at times this season. That's peak Jokic. He's getting good shots. He's getting to the rim. He's being aggressive on offense. That's the guy who put Denver on his shoulders at the end of last year and carried them to the playoffs, right? Or almost to the playoffs, I should say. The stakes weren't nearly as high this game, obviously, as that do-or-die game 82 against Minnesota, but that first quarter reminded me a little bit of, of that third quarter he had against the Timberwolves last year where he just caught absolute fire. Um <laughs> I mean, when Jokic gets in one of, one of those rhythms, I mean, it's it's hilarious how impossible he is to stop. I mean, he was getting, he was making Anthony Davis look silly on an up and under move there. I mean, he can he can get anybody with those post moves when he's going. Jokic has got to be such a frustrating player to guard, especially for a guy like Anthony Davis, who's just this physical freak with the eight foot wingspan and can absolutely jump out of the gym. To have to guard a guy like Jokic who can barely jump who's stocky, who's out of shape, to have to guard him on the post and bite on all his pump fakes and then just watch Jokic just lay in a casual layup. It's got to be one of the most frustrating things in the world, especially for guys that are so athletic and the types of shot blockers that Anthony Davis is. And I think one thing that played a part in Jokic's big first quarter was 
his point guards are doing an excellent job of setting him up. Uh, Jamal Murray had two nice passes to Jokic in the first quarter, I believe, out of the pick and roll. Monte Morris had the other one where he could have almost laid it up on the pick and roll. He went middle, and then he just dropped it off for Jokic for the end one. So he was very much in rhythm with his point guards in that quarter as well, I thought. Yeah, I'd have to agree. And this might be a good time to just speak about the Nuggets' offense as a whole. I feel like two straight games now where they've looked, at least in my opinion, pretty close to what they were last year in terms of the equal opportunity offense, getting everybody involved, not a ton of play calls, and just the free-flowing style that they found so much success with over the last couple of years. You saw it against Atlanta. I was a little bit hesitant to put that much stock into that game considering the lineup that the Hawks rolled out there and the guys they played with. You know, it looked like a G League team with the Hawks the other night. The Pelicans, though, they're not this amazing defensive team, but they're a quality Western Conference team, and they're a team a lot of people think could flirt with home court advantage in the first round. And I think if they draw the right matchup in the first round, if they draw at Portland, or if they draw, I don't know who else they would match up well against, maybe like a Utah, I could see the Pelicans making a run to like the Western Conference Finals if things... If, if they got a good draw, if things lined up their way. But, you know, the Pelicans are a good team. But I did think it was good to see for a second straight game that this Nuggets offense seems to be right on track to finding its form that it was last year. W- would you say so? Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. They kind of tailed off in the second half. Um, so that was, you know, somewhat worrisome. But... I mean, in the first half, they they were certainly firing on all cylinders, and they probably you know should have had a, a five ten point lead in the first half if they'd played any sort of defense at all. So that came back to hurt them in the end. I, I mean, this is the second year in a row where Malone has said like, "Yeah, I really need to call fewer plays." I mean, do we do we have to keep talking about it? I don't I don't know like. I don't know if he wants the team to hear that message that he's saying publicly. I don't know. I just don't get it. If it's something that we keep talking about, why do we have to keep talking about it? Like, why can't the Nuggets come into a season with with Michael Malone not calling as many plays? Why does it have to take 10, 20 games a month for that to happen? Yeah, why can't we do this for 82 games? Right. Uh, it's perplexing, actually. I'm not sure why. I'm glad you brought that up because we did get a question about that topic on the Total Beverage Fan Hotline. So I'll play that question right now and we'll react some more to it. Hey guys, this is Nick in Austin. I was really excited to see the Nuggets get back to their their old free-flowing offense again against the Hawks the other night. I know it's just the Hawks, but it was uh, was great to see that revival from last season. Uh, My question for you guys is is really just why, um, and even revealed in Malone's post-game comments, why it took so long for him, again, to realize that he kind of has to take his hands off the offense a little bit and, and, and call less plays, because obviously he kind of had that epiphany toward the end of January last year, um, and then it set the offense loose for the rest of the year. And it just seems like Malone's kind of hit this point several times where he's he's realized this, and then he's he's taken the back seat in play calling and then kind of let the, the Jokic ball of the free-flowing offense come to come to fruition and, and then for whatever reason he regresses and, and decides to to tighten it up and constrict it and make it more deliberate and, and make more play calls so 
just wondering why, what your take is at least on why he continues to to have these epiphanies and then regress and and then and, and it's kind of like a vicious cycle here. So I'm just curious your thoughts and and if you think this time because he's saying he's actually going to take his hands off the the offense if it's really going to stick. So thanks guys, appreciate the work. All right, thanks for the question, Nick. Yeah, to get back to that. It's something, like you said, a cycle that's happened each of probably the last three seasons. And yeah, I'm not sure why the Nuggets just can't come into a year with that mindset. And I mean, even last year, he'll come out and say, yeah, we're not going to call as many plays. And then maybe two or three months later, he's again calling plays and then they'll have to go through it again. So it's kind of this everlasting thing. But my only reason that I can tell why the Nuggets would come into a season this way. And I kind of pressed Malone about the play calling and how he balances that after the game against the Hawks. And the only reason I could put together as to why Denver came into the year like this is because of the young roster and the young point guards in Jamal Murray and Monte Morris and Nicole Jokic and Gary Harris and how this is still despite returning most of their rotation from last year, still the second youngest team in the league. And the fact that they're so young probably clicked something in a lot of people's minds saying, hey, there's got to be some structure here. There's got to be some more play calls. And apparently it just takes a few a few games, a month or so, to kind of get flushed out and Nuggets to start playing their brand of basketball. But I definitely feel like it's frustrating. It's got to be frustrating for the players, right? to know they're better playing this way, but to kind of just have to get to it over the course of a season. Yeah, I mean, we, we know which way Nikola Jokic uh, pr- prefers to play. That That's pretty clear, you know, that he that he wants to play this freewheeling s- style of basketball. Um, I don't, I don't know, man. It, I, can, I can point to a couple different things. I don't think there's one specific thing. You know, one thing I would say is that you know, Malone really, really wanted this team to get better on the defensive end this year. So I think maybe, you know, playing a little more controlled brand of basketball on the offensive end could lead to better results on defense in some ways. I also think the fact that the Nuggets have, they don't have a, a traditional starting point guard, I think it's a lot more difficult to, to loosen the reins when you've got a guy who sometimes struggles against pressure to get the team into its offense, to get the get the ball to guys in their spots, I think there might be a natural desire for a coach to, you know, seize a little bit tighter control of the reins when you've got a guy like Jamal Murray who's not a classic point guard out there. I mean, I I don't think it was any surprise to me that the Nuggets offense just immediately popped when Monte Morris made that spot start. Um, and, you know, I we talked about this a lot last, last podcast. Honestly, I think the Nuggets would probably win more win more games over their next 10 games or so. If Monte Morris was the starting point guard now, I wouldn't do that because you got to play the long game here. But those are a couple of factors, I think, that can contribute to this. Yeah, I'm not willing to go that far. I'm not willing to go that far as to say Monte Morris would automatically equal more wins. But the offense definitely did pop against the Hawks. It looked good against the Pelicans. Jokic's body language. How about his body language in these past two games compared to what his body language was like over that first stretch of games. Completely different, right? And that goes back to what you said about, we know that Jokic is much more comfortable. 
He's going to play much more confidently. He's going to play who he is when there's not as many play calls. And when the Nuggets are just playing that equal opportunity brand of basketball. So it's been night and day when it's come to his body language and how he's played over these past couple games. And he doesn't even have the big point total against Atlanta, but he, he really just dominated that game uh, from you know start to finish or as long as he was out there. So Jokic has that big first quarter against the Hawks. He gets hurt on this freak play under the basket where there must have been a wet spot on the floor or he slipped on something under the basket, looked to hurt himself, stays in the game, and I I think he was fine. I don't think that injury really impacted him throughout the rest of the night, but he has the big first quarter, 18 points on 7 of 8 shooting, doesn't have the same type of impact over the rest of the game. Throughout the second, third, and fourth quarters, goes 3 of 12 from the field, 0 of 5 from 3. Still 7 rebounds and 5 assists, but just wasn't the same scorer as he was in that first quarter. What do you just kind of see happen, I guess, after those first 12 minutes? I did a rewatch of the game today, and i got to be honest with you. I, I thought he was moving around the exact same after the injury. I mean, you, we saw him on the bench sitting there with the leg wrapped up in the heating pad. Um, after the game, you know, Michael Malone just said it was soreness that he didn't expect him to miss the next game. So, I mean, look, it, it might have been affecting him. I, I really couldn't tell the way Jokic was moving. It looked like he was moving around pretty well even after the injury. I, I think mostly he just cooled off. Yeah, that's probably it. I agree. I don't think he was moving around any less fluidly than he was early in the game. And I know he didn't slip on like a camera guy or a videographer on the baseline. But this might be a good time to say, how in this day and age do we still have video guys and camera people on the baseline so close to players? I know Jokic slipped on like a sweat spot or something, but it could have easily been a guy videotaping the game, a guy taking pictures. How in 2018... Are those guys still so close? Because people still run into those guys on the baseline. People still get injured crashing into photogs, crashing into video camera guys on the baseline. I just have no idea how in 2018 that is allowed. It seems archaic. Wasn't it last year in the playoffs where LeBron you know, hit his head against a camera yes. and he got that gash in his head that was bleeding a little bit? People get injured because camera guys sit on the baseline. It, it seems like... In the year of 2018, we should be able to move those guys back a couple feet. There's no need for them to be so close on the baseline. But nevertheless, yeah, Jokic had that big first quarter, was kind of quiet throughout the rest of the night. Here's an interesting stat, though. Talking about fourth quarters, and the Nuggets kind of fell behind the fourth and just weren't able to really bridge the gap and catch back up to the Pelicans last night. In fourth quarters, Jokic hasn't been the same offensive weapon that he has been earlier in games. Over the last six games, Jokic only scored five points in the fourth quarter. One and nine from the field, 30 minutes. So he's not having the same scoring impact late in games in fourth quarters. I'm not sure why, because he seems like he's still getting the ball Maybe he's not in shape. Maybe he's tired. I don't know. 
But uh, the Nuggets need to find a way to get him going later in games. Yeah, I mean, he, he just has to be better late, bottom line. I think Nikola Jokic would definitely be best served by getting in a little better shape. I mean, he's still so freaking good, you know, being this pudgy guy. But this is two summers in a row now. You know, we've kind of said, like, all right, is this a summer he gets in killer shape and sheds that baby fat and, and didn't do it this year? Well, maybe that's just never going to happen. Maybe it's not. Yeah. And, I mean, people keep saying, oh, he needs to really get into shape. This is the summer where it's going to happen. Maybe it's just not going to happen. You know, and, and he's going to be this guy. I mean, if he could put on muscle and, and he could go like the Marc Gasol route. Yeah, Jokic's older brothers have a, a lot of muscle. I don't know if he's quite uh, built the same way or, or capable of ever looking like that. But, I don't know, you can dream, I guess. We'll get into a couple more observations from this game here. In a second, first, I want to tell you about this really awesome deal for BSN listeners with Total Beverage. If you're listening to this podcast, if you've been to Total Beverage before, you probably know that they have the most liquor in Colorado at the best prices in Colorado. But I bet you didn't know that they're now delivering to anywhere in the North Metro area from Wheat Ridge to Erie. For a limited time, Total Beverage is offering $10 off a $50 purchase on their website and their app. That's the thing, though. It's got to be on their website and app. You also got to use the promo code BSN10. Again, if you use promo code BSN10 on Total Beverage's website or app, you're going to get $10 off your order of $50 or more for all your holiday parties. Have it delivered right to your door. Also, the deal we always have with Total Beverage, if you use promo code BSN10, you're going to get $10 off your liquor delivery order. That's BSN10 for $10 off your next delivery order. So download their app, use their website, check those guys out at Total Beverage. All right, let's get back into this game here. I want to touch on Jamal Murray's night. Not a great night shooting the ball for Jamal Murray. I felt like he struggled in a couple different aspects of his game. 4 of 14 from the field, 1 of 5 from 3. His struggles from beyond the arc continue. The minus 14 was the, I guess, team low in plus minus. Played a hair under 30 minutes compared to Monte Morris, who played 34 minutes. So Monte played five more minutes than Jamal Murray did the other night. Where are you at on Jamal Murray right now? Because obviously he's struggling with his three-point shot. We've spoken about his struggles just being the point guard of this team. setting his guys up and doing the typical point guard duties that Monte Morris has shined in so far this season. Where are you at on Jamal? Yeah, Murray looked like he was uh, in his own head a little bit, to be honest, in this game. It was kind of weird, too, because I thought he had a really nice first quarter. He made two sweet passes in the first quarter. Um, There was one great one to Nicole Jokic out of the pick and roll. And then he just kind of tailed off in this game. I mean, look, I think you can live with Jamal Murray's flaws of he's still learning you know, how to set teammates up as long as he's scoring the basketball and doing so efficiently. But you know, over these first 16 games, he really hasn't done that. Um, he's hitting um, a little more than a quarter of wide-open three-point attempts. I believe he's at 27% when a defender is six feet away or further. He shot 42% on wide-open threes last year. I mean, we saw him miss two of those in this game. Those are the ones that, that have to go down for Jamal Murray. I mean, for Jamal Murray to you know be a, a, a plus member of this team, 
he's just got to score the basketball and do it efficiently because there are other holes in his game. I, th- I think that's where I'm at. Yeah, he's got to be knocking down open shots. And here's a crazy stat about Jamal Murray's shooting. We've talked about it. Over his first two seasons in the league, he started the season in a rough shooting slump. That's been a trend for now three years. But going back through the first 16 games of last season, Jamal Murray shot 22 of 76, 29.8% from three. And that's on all three-point shots, not just wide-open shots. Through 16 games last year, he was 22 of 76 from three. Obviously, he rebounded in December last year. He shot 46.4% from three that month. Finished the year at 37.8. This year, through 16 games, he's also at... 22 of 76 from three. He shot the same percentage from three-point range through 16 games this year as he did last year. In the long run, I'm still betting on him to be a really good shooter. Look, if the trend continues from last year, he'll have a big December. He'll have a big January. I believe he shot over 40% in January last year, too, from three. So I think he'll rebound. I don't think this is the type of shooter that Jamal Murray is. I got to think the ankle injuries kind of slowed him to start the year a little bit. I really do believe once he gets fully healthy, he'll start knocking down shots. But I guess now you got to write him in for a slump to begin the year from three. You don't think he's fully healthy? Well, at the beginning of the year, he certainly wasn't, right? So maybe he's been healthy for, you know, this last stretch of games. But at the beginning of the year, he was banged up a little. At the beginning of the year, he was playing through some flu-like symptoms at times. The ankle injuries were noted and well-written about. So he's a bit healthier, I think, for this last stretch of games, but not really for the entire season so far. Yeah, and if you're the Nuggets, you've got to be hoping that Murray can replicate you know, that, that toward stretch he had in December last year um, again this year. I don't know. I feel weird saying guys are just slow starters because I feel like so much of it is just randomness. But Murray, I mean, missed the first 16 shots of his career. He was pretty bad last year in November. He's been you know, pretty bad by his standards at the start of this year. Maybe he, he just is a slow starter. I don't know. But, yeah, I mean, you can live with his flaws if he's going to make shots. And he's just not hidden right now, man. I mean, he – he looks like he's lost a little bit of his confidence, which is weird. It is really weird. And going back to what you said about him kind of being in his own head, I think you saw some of that against the Pelican, just overthinking too much, not really being sure of himself. And that's crazy when talking about Jamal Murray, because he's just a guy that embodies just a confident spirit on the court. And so it's kind of out of character to see him that way. Uh, But his issues right now, and we've spoken about them at length, he's not your natural point guard, and he might never be. And uh, he's kind of struggling in some of those aspects of the game. And I think it's being compounded by the fact that Monte Morris is backing him up. And Jamal's probably looking at Morris out of the corner of his eye and being like, wow, this guy's playing unbelievable as a point guard, just setting his teammates up. Handing out, you know, five, six, seven assists a night off the bench, rarely turning the ball over. And, you know, I'm struggling with some of those aspects of the game. But another huge game from Monte Morris last night six of seven from the field in 34 minutes. He played the third most minutes on the Nuggets the other night behind uh, 
Gary Harris, who played 39, and then Wancho, and then Monte Morris. How many times has Monte Morris just outplayed Jamal Murray lately? Well, he's probably outplayed him in every game since Jamal Murray's 48-point game, I'd say. Yeah. And what's that been, the last five games here? Yeah, I mean, it It feels like it's happening a lot lately. Um, For the last six games? Oh, yeah, you, you've just got to ride it out. I, I mean, it, it kind of stinks. Um, I, I think Malone is pretty much doing the right things. I mean, he's, he's given Murray... Those minutes with Morris, I think that's a good thing for Jamal. Take a little bit of the playmaking load off of him. I mean, really, any way that Malone can continue to lessen the playmaking load on Murray until Will Barton comes back, I think is a good thing. So I guess you just got to believe that he's going to shoot his way out of it, and I think he will. Yeah, I think he will too. Let's go ahead and take a break real quick. A bunch more to get to on the other side. Got some thoughts on... Wancho, another big night from him. And some other thoughts wrapping up this New Orleans loss. We'll be right back on the BSN Nuggets podcast. Are you in search of natural relief from your daily stresses? Well, Strava Craft Coffee is a CBD-rich, hemp oil-infused coffee that is non-psychoactive, helps reduce pain naturally, keeps those coffee jitters away, and so much more. I started drinking it because I have degenerative arthritis, and I would prefer to drink coffee that has natural ingredients in it for healing, and this coffee treats the inflammatory process that happens from having degenerative arthritis. That was Robin. She's been drinking Strava Craft coffee every day for months now, and she is so happy with the results. I would recommend it to America, to everyone, because it is a fantastic product. It delivers, it does what it says it's going to do, and it's amazing. Put your body back in balance with Strava Craft Coffee and see how good you feel. Order online today and use promo code BSN2018 for 20% off. That's BSN2018. Welcome back to the BSN Nuggets podcast. Harrison Wind, Christian Clark here, Monday edition of the show. Wrapping up our thoughts here on the Nuggets, 125-115 loss to the New Orleans Pelicans. I want to talk about the officiating in this game real quick. And I'm never one to blame the refs, but I think the box score speaks for itself. Pelicans shot 31 of 34 from the free throw line in this game. Anthony Davis by himself shot 20 of 21. From the line, the Nuggets as a team took 13 free throws. They made eight of them. I mean, Anthony Davis took 21 free throws. The entire Nuggets team took 13. Is there an active conspiracy in the NBA to not give the Denver Nuggets any free throws? Well, I know if I was a Nuggets, you know, and I worked in their front office and I my team was involved in a game where, you know, one team got 34 free throws and my team got 13 free throws, I would be definitely be calling the league office and saying, hey, we got screwed in the last two-minute report out of anybody last year. Don't think I forgot that. I mean, wh- why does this keep happening? I don't know. I would, I would at least like let the league know that the Nuggets didn't get a great shake um, late in close games last year. I'm sure the league is aware of that. <laughs> I'm sure they are, based on how many times there was an incorrect or uh, a incorrect non-call or an incorrect call in the last two minutes of games. But, I mean, what do you think of the officiating, though, uh, against New Orleans? Was it as bad as the free throw discrepancy made it look like it was? 
Um, it was pretty bad, but the Nuggets. I mean, they did a lot of. They made a lot of mistakes, like that that play where Nikola Mirotic caught the ball like five feet behind the three point line, and Trey Lyles, you know, jumped straight up. And I don't really think that Trey Lyles fouled him. Um, I think Mirotic kind of swung his elbow into Lyles, but Lyles probably could have prevented that from even happening by just staying, you know, straight up and down rather than jumping. There was no time left on the shot clock. I mean, that was that probably should have gone the Nuggets' way, but that was sort of a coin flip play. Um, and, you know, I think the Nuggets can feel right about blaming the officiating in this game, but I thought their defense also stunk. Their, their uh, transition defense in the first quarter was terrible. There were a bunch of blow-bys in this game. Drew Holiday split the, the pick-and-roll twice in this game, got all the way to the rack. Um, one of them was an and-one, so... Yeah, I mean, the officiating, I don't, I don't think it was great by any means. and But I also think the Nuggets were pretty bad on defense, too. They were awful on defense. A 123.8 defensive rating Denver posted in this game against the Pelicans. Not the attention to def- detail and extra effort defense that we've seen with this team throughout most of the first part of this season. The blow-bys. We know how much Michael Malone loves to reference the blow-bys that Denver allowed. Blow-bys are the new points in the paint. <laughs> right, right. Um, I think he said they set a new record in terms of allowing the most blow-bys that they had this season in one of those recent losses, maybe that final one of the four-game losing streak. Might have been the Nets game. Might have been the Nets game. They might have broken that record in this Pelicans game. I mean, how many times did Drew Holiday and and these Pelicans guards get into the paint? It was just kind of a a constant cycle. I did not think the defense was good. In terms of the officiating, I thought it was horrible. And I'm not one to ever really blame the officials. But they called this game unbelievably tight and and just uh, tons of ticky-tack fouls that went the Pelicans' way. I thought there were a number of questionable calls. But that's not really where I felt like the Nuggets lost the game. You know where I think they lost the game in the fourth quarter? It was on the glass. They allowed four offensive rebounds in the fourth quarter, and that was throughout the entire period, but really in the pivotal moments of that fourth quarter where the Pelicans kind of put some breathing room between them and the Nuggets. They allowed four, three of them, went to Anthony Davis. I mean, eight second chance points for the Pelicans in the period. So that's where I feel like they lost the game. It wasn't due to the officiating, although I felt like it was terrible. It wasn't really due to their defense as a whole, but on the glass, they just didn't box out Anthony Davis. I felt like that's where it really came back to haunt them the most. Four offensive rebounds for Anthony Davis, four offensive rebounds for Julius Randle as well. Is Julius Randle just just destined to destroy the Nuggets from from now until the end of time. Denver's got to hope he goes to the Eastern Conference at this point because it doesn't matter what team he's on, the Lakers or the Pelicans, he's going to eat when he's matched up against Denver. Yeah, I mean, Paul Millsap, you, you'd like to imagine as your Julius Randle wrangler, but it just hasn't happened so far. And, I mean, I guess Julius Randle does this – to a lot of teams is not unique to the Nuggets, but it just feels like, you know, his physicality is such a problem for the Nuggets. I yeah. mean, physicality, I think, can, can sometimes really bother the Nuggets. Yeah, especially that second unit. And you look at the guys he's going up against. I mean, if Julius Randle's playing the Nuggets, he's a good player. He's averaging, like, what, 
17, 18 points per game this year, probably eight rebounds or so. You can pencil him in, though, for 20 and 10 if he's got Denver on the schedule, and he's going to do it on 8 of 13 shooting like he did the other night against Denver. Also throw in like three steals, a block maybe. He's been great against the Nuggets, and Denver's got no answer for him. They've had no answer for Anthony Davis, as we've seen before, too. Real quick, um, it was kind of interesting. Nicole Jokic started this game guarding Anthony Davis. Paul Millsap was on Nikola Miritich. Um, last year, it was it was flip-flopped. I believe Paul Millsap um, guarded Davis most of the time. What did you think about that configuration? Would you have done it that way? I would have probably started Paul Millsap on him. I mean, I think that's just naturally how the Nuggets would usually match up with the Pelicans. So I was a bit surprised to see Nikola Jokic on Anthony Davis. That's a lot of trust you're putting in Nikola Jokic's hands, guarding Anthony Davis, trusting him not to get into foul trouble. And to his credit, only picked up two personal fouls. To his credit, he stayed out of foul trouble. So it was an admirable defensive performance by Nikola Jokic. I was surprised, though, to see him start on Anthony Davis, though. Yeah, I felt like Jokic did a pretty good job, and, and Davis still wound up with 40-8. and eight. Yeah, I mean, 10-20 of 20 from the field, 20-21 20 of 21 from the free throw yeah. line for Anthony Davis. More free throws, eight more free throws attempts for Anthony Davis than the entire Nuggets team. Yeah, the league's going to have to have a look at that one. Yeah, that was like the 2006 finals. Dwayne Wade and the Mavs. <laughs> right. Never forget. <laughs> a couple other thoughts I had on this game. I want to touch briefly on Wancho. Another big game from him. 20 points, 11 rebounds. A 35-minute night for Wancho. He played the second most minutes on this team next to Gary Harris. I mean, with how he's popped in the starting lineup over these past few games, I wouldn't think there's any thought about changing the starting lineup or or anything to do with that, taking Wancho out of there and putting in maybe a Malik Beasley or, or something like that. He's looked great next to Jokic, and like now he seems like a guy that you got to have out there for, at the minimum, 25 minutes a game. Well, I mean, Wancho has been awesome, and, and you totally hit the nail on the head on this one. You you predicted before the season if Wancho just got uh, his chance, then he would run with it, and he's done exactly that. I mean, look, I knew Wancho could shoot the three. Like him, him shooting above 40% from three-point land is not surprising to me at all. Um, he's finishing around the rim, um, I, I think, right now in, in a way that is surprising to me a, a little bit. Um, he's been fantastic, and then, you know, obviously he's a great offensive rebounder. So, yeah, Wancho has just run with this opportunity. I mean, he, he is such a perfect fit for what the Nuggets are trying to do offensively. It would it would pain me to ever see Wancho, you know, go have to go away in a trade because I want to see him next to Nikola Jokic for a couple years. He's such a fun player to watch, plays so well next to Nikola Jokic, and a big trend early on this season for Denver was how they could not make threes as a team. They were ranked 29th in team three-point percentage throughout most of this first portion of the season. After a couple nice showings from three as a team, Denver's up to 22nd in three-point percentage. Now they're hitting 
you know, around 34% of their threes had another good night from distance against the Pelicans, hit 38.5% of their threes versus New Orleans. I think we're seeing Denver as a team start to emerge out of this early season shooting slump. Gary Harris looks like he's found his rhythm from three. Six and nine from deep the other night against New Orleans. Obviously, we spoke about Jamal Murray. He still hasn't really found his stroke. But the fact that Wancho's getting a ton of minutes right now, and like we expected, he's shooting the ball really well, that's got to help Denver's team-wide three-point percentage. Like, if you just insert a shooter like Wancho, play him a lot of minutes, he's going to knock down three. So I think we'll see Denver continue to creep up that three-point leaderboard steadily here. And like I said last week, I would be pretty surprised if this team doesn't wind up as, you know, a top 10 three-point shooting team like they were last year. They got off to a shaky start to begin the year, but I think it's beginning to even out here. They attempted 39 threes in this game, which is a lot, and I almost felt like it could have been 45. It felt like there were times when they were passing up shots. Right, especially in that second half. There was that one possession you clipped in the latest edition of Golden Nuggets, which is free on bsndenver.com now if you want to check it out. Just kind of a taste of what we put up after every game, win or loss, home or road. But they were passing up a few shots with that second unit especially. We had one more question, specifically kind of about Wancho and the officiating, which I'll play right now from the Total Beverage Fan Hotline, and we'll wrap up the show with that. If you guys do have a question for the show, give us a call, especially after games. That's when we love to hear from you the most. 1-800-BSN-8394. 1-800-BSN-8394. It's the Total Beverage Fan Hotline. Let's go there right now. Hey, Chris in Denver. Uh, not a whole lot to say about the game. Jamal Murray, 11-6, 11 points, 6 assists. Not very efficient scoring, but he only had one turnover to 6 assists. Um, that seems to be something that he's clearly worked on the past couple of games. Um, I'm not saying he's there yet, but I think he is uh, He is working whatever working on what everyone said that he need to work, needs to work on. I don't expect him to ever be like Kyrie Irving with the dribble, but Certainly think he could improve that too, and looks like he's well on his way. Just uh, just growing pains with the young player, and who knows how much those ankles are still bothering him. Uh, the one question I did have on the game though was was Wancho, at twenty points, eleven rebounds. Certainly looks like he's going to be a player for the future. Um, what's Malone do when Barton comes back? Uh, it certainly seems like he has a problem on his hands. Uh, or a good problem, but a problem nonetheless with uh, Wancho's emerging play. Curious your thoughts on that, both short and long term. Uh, personally, I think they might keep him in case uh, Lyles goes somewhere else in restricted free agency. And uh, Malik Beasley certainly got his work cut out between now and mid to late December. What I did want to talk about was the discrepancy in officiating. The officiating was just awful in the, in the first half. I don't think they lost because of the officiating. The offense went to sleep in the third quarter. That's where I think they lost the game. But the officiating didn't help. 34 free throw attempts to to 13. That's just ridiculous. There's no way in an NBA game that the difference in play is that extreme with the free throw attempts. Um, I'm not claiming conspiracy here. I'm not, hey, everyone's out to get us. But 
last year, by the league's own admission, the Nuggets were the worst officiated team in the league. You had Brooklyn. Uh, that was a game where the officials admitted that they missed their travel. Officiating the NBA is hard. Again, I'm not saying conspiracy here, and I'm not even really saying incompetence here. But at what point does ownership do something about the way that the team is officiated? Um, I don't, again, not claiming anyone's out to get us, but uh, I think someone's ought to, I, I think someone in the, the ownership group ought to say, you guys got to, you guys got to give our guys a chance. You got to look a little bit closer because this is ridiculous. And as much power as, as an NBA official has, this can't happen. I can't imagine LeBron, a LeBron James-led team getting officiated like this. I can't imagine a Steph Curry-led team getting officiated like this. Something needs to change. Um, curious your thoughts on that. Chris, thanks for the call. Love the passion. Love the passion, my man. I agree. The officiating, like I said a few minutes ago, was atrocious. And, yeah, I'm sure the Nuggets have inquired with the league about why they seem to get screwed more than other teams late in games. I mean, you brought up the point about Steph Curry not getting officiated this way, LeBron James not getting officiated this way. That's 100% true, right? We know in the NBA, star players get preferential treatment from officials. Just how it is. That's a thing that's been the case in the NBA going back decades and decades and decades that's just how the sport is star players get calls rookies and other guys typically don't get and you know the nuggets don't really have that star player that kind of registers in officials minds like that like we know Nicole Jokic is a star I don't think he's a star that necessarily gets preferential treatment from officials though he's not in that category yet like there's probably a different qualifier for stars who get put in that group versus just stars in terms of how good they are and how much they impact their team winning. So the Nuggets don't really have guys that register like that, and they don't get a lot of calls that go their way. And so it's going to take time to change when the Nuggets get into the playoffs and as some of these guys start to get older. I think they'll start getting more calls, but... I agree. Right now, they're not. And, yeah, I thought the officiating was pretty bad. What you said about Wancho was interesting. I'm not sure if you were asking if they should, like, move on from him in a trade or whatnot when Will Barton gets back. I wouldn't expect that. I think Wancho would be still a valuable piece for the Nuggets off the bench when Will Barton does come back. Barton will, of course, slide back into the starting lineup. Wancho back to the bench and you know he'll probably still get you know 20 25 minutes a game I would think how do you see that situation kind of sorting out oh man when Barton gets back I don't know if you can just pencil him in for 20 to 25 minutes every game um I hope he's a part of the rotation but it's it surprised me how well Wancho has played at small forward I mean I was pretty high on Wancho but he doesn't really even get any minutes at power forward, which, in my opinion, is probably going to be his best position if he ever gets consistent minutes there. So I'm really hoping that the Nuggets are going to hold on to him long term. And, you know, somewhere down the road when this log jam at power forward clears up a little bit, even give him some minutes at power forward as well, because 
as good as he's been starting at, at small forward, I think he'll look even even better when he when he shifts over to the four. And that's why I think the guy to move, if you're looking for one guy to dangle in trade talks, if you're the Nuggets, is probably Trey Lyles, right? I mean, you have the log jam at power forward. you got a lot of guys who can play there with Millsap, with Wancho, Jared Vanderbilt coming up, whose natural position is the four. You've got guys who can fill in there, and Trey Lyles is in the last year of his deal and slated for restricted free agency this summer. So he's the guy out of the Nuggets bench unit that I'd probably look to move if I was the Nuggets more so than Wancho for sure. And I don't even think there's that much of a difference between, you know, Trey Lyles and Wancho on defense either at this point. Right. Wancho is an underrated defender. That's a take I've been on this season. His rebounding, his ability to protect the rim has been pretty impressive. Yeah, he's still not the quickest laterally. Yeah, he'll still get burnt. He's still not the best guy closing out to the perimeter as we saw in that Rockets game. But he's underrated in some aspects of his game defensively, I do think. So going forward, I would prioritize playing Wancho, keeping Wancho above Trey Lyles. And when it comes to those two guys' roles, I think he's got a higher ceiling too and just definitely fits how the Nuggets want to play around Jokic more than Trey Lyles, although Lyles has been valuable and, and probably will continue to be valuable for this team throughout the rest of the season. But that's how I see that situation sorting out. Yeah, Malik Beasley, he'll probably see his minutes drop. Wancho's minutes will drop a little bit too. And then when Isaiah Thomas gets back, we'll have to have this discussion all over again. And we might have that discussion before this one because he could be back before Will Barton. Still some uncertainty there. A lot of talent on this roster. That's for sure. Talent-wise, I think this is you know, arguably the second most talented team in the West behind Golden State. I think talent, pound for pound, player for player, they probably have more talent than the Houston Rockets. Rockets are just a better team with one player who who's just a better player than Nikola Jokic probably. All right, all the time we got for today. Thanks for listening, guys. If you have a moment and if you enjoy the show, head on over to iTunes. Drop a five-star review. We certainly appreciate it. Helps us grow the show. Love your feedback as always. So if you have a couple minutes, it takes just 30 seconds. Head on over to iTunes. We appreciate the five-star reviews. And we'll be back with another episode on Tuesday. Talk with you then.